Dr. Mac Brunson, man, it's so good to finally talk to you. Good. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be with you. Yeah. So we've spoken a few times uh, before this, not not really super in depth, but uh, just so many things about you that I admire. And uh, the, the main thing I want to hear, and I think our listeners want to hear, is they want to hear your story. Man, what do, you're a legend in, in your own right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I guess a hundred years will tell, but but I'll tell you this, everybody that I've talked to about you yeah. has had nothing but high praise and um, well, I appreciate that. You know, it's a, it's something we all would aspire to. So let's start off the very beginning, man. How, how did okay. you come to know the Lord? You know, I grew up in the home of uh, my dad was a very godly man. He was a man's man. He he um, my dad you know, first generation, he, I'm first generation off farm. He, he farmed, he, my dad had these huge hands. He boxed golden glove. He went in on the invasion of Europe. He was at Utah beach at the end of the first day. And, you know, he was a man's man, but when he got saved, he got radically saved. And, um, I grew up in a home with a very strong Christian father. My mother was solid. And I just had a great, we had a functional home because my dad was there to to see that it functioned. Um, and so I, I grew up in a great, a, a great home with a great childhood. My dad was a Gideon, very active in the Gideons. And so every weekend or, or every Labor Day weekend, we'd go off to Bond Clarkin, which is a place in Hendersonville, North Carolina. It, it was an associate reform Presbyterian retreat. They just happened to hold it there. And it was up there on a um, Saturday, I believe. And um, I, of course, had heard the gospel. And for some reason, it really resonated with me. And on a camp cot, I, I mean, I could take you back to the building. I could take you back to the cot that was there. And um, I had a Gideon Red New Testament and the counselor told me to open it to John three sixteen and to read my name there. So I read, you know, for God so loved Mac Brunson that he gave his only begotten son. And so I read it that way, putting my name in there. And I prayed, gave my life to the Lord, got up off of his cot, went and got in my cot and, um, was just, just prayed. And I was convinced and I thanked the Lord that he saved me. So it was a very real experience. And that's how I was 12 years of age. It was 1969 Labor Day weekend. And, um, that's how I came to the Lord, but I grew up in a very godly home and in a home where my dad taught the word of God, lived the word of God, made application to everything in the word of God. And, uh, then later was called into ministry. Uh, the yeah, Lord, so what, you know, I got into the teenage years and I did what teenagers do. I rebelled and I strayed and I, you know, I, I didn't go off, you know, into I wasn't robbing banks and murdering people or anything like that, but I was in sin and God just kept, you know, I'll go into my call. God kept just dealing with my heart for two years and I was running. I didn't want anything to do with it. So how old were you at this point? I dropped a girl off. I was dating, dropped her off. And on the way home from there, I can take you back to the spot in the road. And I remember the old house. It's still standing there where about 11 o'clock, 1130 that night, God said, I'm going to get you. Now, just to my own spirit, I just sensed God said, I'm going to get you. And I knew what he meant. He meant he was going to get me for ministry. And it scared me. But I couldn't get away from the sense of call. I talked to everybody I could talk to. I I did everything until that fall in, in my first semester at college. Um, right before the Thanksgiving break, I remember where I surrendered. I can go back to that step I was on going down to the bookstore at North Greenville and where I'd given my life to the, where I surrendered to preach. And I went home that weekend. I was dating Debbie. I pulled her to the side and I said, listen, 
I'm going to go down tonight and I'm going to surrender to the ministry. I love you. I want to marry you. Um, but if you can't be a pastor's wife, if that's not what you want to do, you know, I will understand, but this, I can't get away from it. So, and the rest is history. History. So how many years have you been pastoring all, all totaled? For a little over 40 years, 40, 42, something like that. Somewhere around in there. I passed, before, I passed it before I ever went to seminary. Oh, okay. Okay. So you pastored four churches or five? I have pastored, let's see, I don't know how to count now. Uh, I started out in a little small country church way outside of my hometown. It was at the end of a paved road. Um, uh, there, let's see one. That's uh, Green Street, Dallas, Jacksonville. I'm in my sixth church. Sixth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know about the country church before seminary. I had just read. Yeah, about the I was there for 16 months in a little small country church. Twelve people the first Sunday, and um, uh, loved those people. They loved me. They were just so kind to me, so good to me. It had had a long history. Of course, now I was just called to the man. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I had a couple of Bailey Smith books mm -hmm. and I could read a Bailey Smith sermon and kind of get something out of that and kind of put something together. And that's just basically what I did. That and William Barclay is what I had. And I look back at that and I just think those poor people, bless their heart. God just bless them. <laughs> they, they sat there and they listened. I know what was horrible. So I was there 16 months and God bless. We saw 55. That was a little country church that had not seen a baptism in over five years mm. or longer. They hadn't had any new members and I don't know how long. And so when I went there, um, we had about 12 people that Sunday morning and they called me. The interesting thing is how they called me. Uh, the, the chairman of the deacons was mostly Cherokee, Cherokee Indian. And, um, he had a farm there and he'd given a little piece of his farm to build a parsonage, just a little cutout there and, and from his cow pasture. And, uh, he called me one Sunday and I I'd filled in as an interim preached there once or twice. And he called and he said, Hey, can you come preach for us Sunday? And I said, no, sir, I'm preaching at this church. And then he said, well, what about the next Sunday? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm preaching at this church. He said, well, what about the Sunday after that? And I said, yes, I can be there then. He said, well, don't be taking anything else. I said, <laughs> he I wanted said, you. Yes, sir. That's how I was called. I said, yes, sir. They didn't wow. interview me or anything. <laughs> they called me. Don't be taking anything else. I said, yes, sir. So you've been, you've been at the smallest church possible, 12 people. I guess you yeah, might yeah. get smaller, but that, that's about as low, as small as you can go. Uh, but you've also pastored some, some really just yeah, huge yeah. churches and not just in numbers, but in, in terms of influence. So first Baptist Dallas and then first yeah. Baptist Jacksonville and now yeah. Valadale. So how would you describe the, the move? Cause I'm assuming or maybe I'm wrong that when you were at your first church, you never dreamed that those would be the platforms God would place you in. No, what, no. I what never happened. That's a good question. You know, just along the way I go back and I just see where the Lord caused my path to cross certain people and God used those relationships because I never applied. I've never applied at a church. I've never sent a resume off and said, Hey, please, come talk to me or I'm interested in, I've, uh, the church has always come to me and, um, I've never, I've never gone to them. And so I went from seminary. I went to South Norfolk. They, you know, I, it, well, from there, you know, I got a request to send a resume there. So I sent a resume there. And they said, would you fly up and see us? And so Deb and I did, and we saw them and God called that sweet fellowship and lifelong friends we made in that first church out of seminary. And then from there, I went to Green Street. They came to see me and they called me there. 
And then um, First Baptist Dallas, they sent their pulpit committee. And I just said, look, I'm not going to come down there and get in the flesh. And I'm stunned that you're even talking to me anyway. But I said, you come up here. So I took them to the house, ordered pizza, and served them off of paper plates. I want to do everything I could. Now, these these people from First First Baptist Dallas. Oh, man. And and they thought it was a hoot. They thought it was the neatest thing in the world to be served off of paper plates and uh, eat pizza at the pastor's house. But the Lord just kind of called me there. And so we went there. I'm skipping a lot of stuff. And while I was there, I'd gotten... We were in the middle of that building program. It, it was a $48 million building program. And um, I felt like I'd done everything I could do. And I felt like that I had used up a lot of chips getting them into that they needed to get into a new building down there. And if it once they could walk into a new building, they'd want everything. Because everything there in Dallas was so... Uh, it was so degraded. All of the facilities were just so degraded that they desperately needed something. And of course, the Lord called in Robert and it used Robert in a tremendous way to uh, to build out the rest of the campus off of that one building. So I felt like I had served the purpose that God called me there for. And first Jacksonville came and I gave them five or six names. I said, you need to go talk to these people. And they said, we're, we're going to talk to you. And when you're ready to talk to us, then we're ready to talk to you. But until you're, you're ready to talk, we're not going to anybody else. So I ended up going there. I felt like, you know, God opened that door and I was there for 12 years. And then moving to Valleydale, that was actually yeah. in some people's minds. I don't mean this. I don't think this, but in some people's minds, you're stepping backwards because it's a smaller church, a smaller place, less influence maybe. And yet God has done great things. Can you talk a little bit you know, about that? I did. I thought about, you know, nobody leaves a mega church to go to a smaller church. I don't know. May I'm sure somebody has done it somewhere, but I um, I stepped out of that situation at Jacksonville because it was really the right thing for me to do. Um, I did not want to go through. I did not want to hurt the church. I did not want the church to suffer. I did not want the church to be put into a bad situation. So I stepped out before I had somewhere to go. But I had been talking to Valleydale because they they called and they wanted, you know, would you help us as we're looking for a pastor? And so I talked to them and I said, I'll be glad to talk to you. I'm not going to meet with you because I don't want to fall in love with you folks. Well, I fell in love with them. <laughs> uh, but before I ever preached here in view of a call and they called me, I, I left first Jacksonville, literally putting everything in the hands of God and trusting that God was going to work ministry out? Would I be in the ministry? Would I be out of the ministry? You know, so they call and said, we want you to come on here uh, and preach and we want you to come and be our pastor. So I did. And I got here and uh, they were running around 350, maybe 400 was a good, was a real good Sunday. Um, And God's just, God, listen, God saved I'm at the wedding feast at Cain of Galilee. God saved the best to last. And I'm in the best place I could possibly be. Uh, God has grown us and grown us and grown us. We're right now, um, we've had over 200 additions this year, and almost 100 of them are by profession of faith. Amen. Wow. So, I mean, you know, everybody ought to hope that they grow and that half their growth is by profession of faith. So you so, started in ministry at the age of 18, 19 or so? Um, I was, yeah, yeah. I think that college. was when God called me. I was, I'd just gone off to college my freshman year. So I, I guess I was 19, 18, 19. No, I think I just turned 19. So you've been preaching for 40 something years mm-hmm. and, and the best is now. I think yeah. that speaks a lot to the 30 year old pastor. The Well, uh, let me tell the 30 year old pastor what, what, um, 
Pew Research says that a man's most productive years, Pew Research, are his 60s. Hmm. Second most productive period of a man's life is 70s. Hmm. You know, Jack Graham said something to me back at the convention this uh, past June when we were at the Southwestern luncheon and uh, he and uh, Dr. Hawkins, um, Dr. Graham, myself, Rick Bird, uh, Dr. Allen, uh, we were we were all kind of there. And he looked at me and he said, Mac, don't retire. He said, whatever you do, don't retire. He said, you've just now figured it out. Yeah, wow. And uh, several years ago, Dr. Jeremiah called me and he was telling me the same. I don't know why he, he, he was... This really was on his heart. And he said, Mac, just don't retire. Whatever you do. He said, I'm in my seventies. I'm having the best ministry of my life right now. He said, whatever you do, do not retire. So, you know, from David Jeremiah to Jack Graham, uh, I'm not thinking about retirement. Now, maybe these folks here are are thinking about it for me, but I'm not thinking about it, you know, right now, but um, they're right, man. I've, I've, I've spent all these years learning this thing. I finally gotten my hand around some of it. And these are some of the most productive days I've had in ministry. We're running over 1400 here. So what would you have changed if, if you had a magic wand and you could go back and change your 30 year old ministry, your 40 year old ministry, what would you have done differently? Or what do you wish you would have known that could have made things uh, yeah, I say a little easier. I don't mean it that way necessarily, but maybe not as difficult because all of us, I think, have difficult ministries um, for for a large portion of ministry. Yeah. You know, I think if I could go back and change anything, I'd go back and change me. Mm. That's what I would change. I would what do you mean by me. that? What would you change? I would change. I would sit down and tell myself, number one, slow down. You know, you're, you're not you're not rushing to a fire in, in the in the not in the sense of that there's not an urgency to see people saved. Yes, but in just just rushing through life and rushing through ministry, I got to get on. I got to move to the next thing. I've got to get the next thing done. I've got to get, and you never stop long enough to just really enjoy the people. Mm. Um, I, I enjoy the folks here at Valleydale. I mean, I really enjoy the people. I enjoy my staff. Um, I spend a lot more time with my staff now. I just came back from lunch with a bunch of IMB people and several of my staff folks. And we, I just enjoy. So I tell myself, number one, slow down. Number two, be a little bit more orderly in my sermon preparation. I think my wife tells me, and I've had one or two others who've known me through the years, say that you're preaching your best sermons right now. And I think it's the way I approach them. I think it's some of my study habits. I think it's um, some things, some tips that I would give myself about sermon preparation um, that I would, I would tell myself not to be so caught up in the administrative as much as in the pastoral aspect of ministry. Mm. That's all I do here. I preach and I pastor people. I don't do anything else. And God, God just is bringing people in here. And the funny thing is, is he's bringing young couples in here. Now I'm 66. And I really thought, I did not think that this was going to be what God would do with me because I thought I was too old for the congregation. And they Hmm. told me this, we need a spiritual father. And so I have found that that is the way this congregation feels. And I feel like I'm somewhat of a spiritual father now to a lot of young couples that have come in. Many of them still, we had a lot of young couples visiting yesterday. That's interesting you say that because I, uh, I know of a church very dear to me, And they're looking for a pastor now. And what they're looking for is a young pastor with young kids 
And my my advice is no, don't do that because a young pastor with young kids, number one, you're gonna have to train him. <laughs> number yeah. two, he's gonna spend most of his time with his kids or at least feel compelled to to yeah. uh, but, they but they're meeting good. oh yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And I'm not saying that, that that would be a good situation, but my thinking is the mindset is a young pastor is gonna reach young people, but I don't know that that's true now. You just said it's not, and I agree. It's a, it's a mystery to me. You know, the, the old adage is you're going to reach people five years on either side of you. So I should be reaching 61 up to 70, 71. Lord have mercy, man. We have young couples coming in here left and right. I think because they're seeing a depth and they're seeing a, a well, steadiness and a strength that they're not getting anywhere else in the world. You know, with a young pastor and young children, it is good for a church to feel like that's who God is leading us to call. And we're going to understand that he's got to spend time with his wife and got to spend time with those little children. And we are willing, we are deacons or elders in this church, and we're willing to do a lot of the stuff that maybe an older pastor would do but we feel called to call a young pastor who will not be a perfect pastor or a perfect preacher, but we're willing. Now I think a church needs to feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree. So what do you make of the current church um, structure or, or the way we do church now? Do you have any insight into maybe, maybe we've gone off the rails or we're doing some things really great. You know what I'm talking about by that? Just the whole expectation I'm, of what church looks yeah, like. I'm caught kind of in the middle. I'm kind of caught. I'm kind of caught here in the middle because I, I, um, it's not the church I grew up in. We don't, we don't sing the hymns the way we used to sing the hymns. We don't do a lot of the stuff we used to do. And that that's in me. I, I'm sorry, but it's just there. It's just what I grew up with. The other is I tell people all the time who want to complain about music that if you are over 50 and you like the music in your church, then you're not interested in reaching young couples or young people. Um, And you ought to be, we shouldn't have to cater to the people that are already saved and are discipled and are in the church. Everybody that is older, discipled, in the church, saved, should be saying, don't worry about me. Let's just reach this next generation. So I'm kind of caught there, and I'm more interested, honestly, in reaching the next generation. And I let Kirkwood, who is in his 30s, uh, with three, four little ones, I let him plan the service. I, I go into the service planning. I sit there. I don't give any direction to it. He plans out the service and I just tell him what I'm going to preach. Wow. Because I want to reach a young couple. I want to reach young people. So there's a lot of trust. A a lot of trust, which if you knew what I've been through, most people would say, I'm not trusting anybody anymore. But I don't have a real struggle. I don't have a real struggle with that. But how? how? How do you go through that and then be where you are? What What's the magic? What's the secret sauce to that? Because a lot of guys are there. I just trust the Lord. You know, God knows. God knows what happened to me. God knows the people that I have now. And, you know, I, I just trust them. If you can't trust the people, now you're going to get burned. I got burned really bad. But I would rather be trusting of people than I had constantly be thinking, what are they scheming? What are they doing? What are they plotting? What are they planning? I don't want to live that way. Hmm. I just don't want to live that way. I'll just trust that the Lord understands and knows and that he's ultimately going to take care of me. And I can tell you out of the last situation, I know God's taken care of me. Because I couldn't take care of myself. So can you talk a little bit about um, some of the deep valleys that you must have walked through 
you and Debbie, I'm sure, have had countless yeah. conversations, and, and uh, that's a whole nother podcast about pastors' wives. They they really are, in my view, the unsung heroes um, of of the church. But they really are. They they honestly, you're right. You know, through the years, things like when Deb's mom died of cancer, Deb stayed with her the last two weeks. We had three very young children. One was a baby. Uh, and so she kept the baby there in South Carolina with her while she was literally sleeping in the twin bed next to her mother's medical bed uh, while her mother died. I had the two older children uh, with me and uh, her mother died. I took off. I left that day. It was into the night when I got there. And, uh, and so I stayed there because I did my mother-in-law's funeral. I did a portion of my mother-in-law's funeral. And so when I got back to the church, you know, I had one or two of the folks say, now look, you know, you're going to have to get back to work here. And I mm -hmm. thought that was a little harsh, you know, Debbie took it a little, as an affront, you know, she just like she was very close to her mother. So through ministry, you've had things like that all the way to just terrible betrayals uh, of those who've just, you know, like David, you know, you, you I, I never thought you would do it. You and I used to walk together in the throngs going up to the house of God, but you, my, my close confidant, you have betrayed me. So everything from just people not understanding and letting you and see, we right now, just in the last four, just in the last three months, Deb lost her brother. I've lost my last sibling, my sister, my oldest sister. And so right now the two of us have walked through yet some more grief because she was very close to her brother, very close. And my sister was 13 or 14 when I was born. She was like my mother. When I grew up, she really literally mothered me as I grew up. And so, you know, to people who don't understand what you're walking through to people who just stab you in the back, we I've been through all of that. I've been through every bit of it. Do you know any pastor who has not felt no, deeply betrayed? No, yeah. I, I really don't. I really don't. I've got a book that that comes out a week from tomorrow. Oh, great. We'll, we'll called, link to that on here. It, 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 uh, the title of the book, I have to look because it was a... Um, Your staff made the title for you. You just wrote it. <laughs> no, the, um, the funny thing is, is I'd, I had it, I'd called it another by another title and they wanted to change it. Uh, God is for you learning to trust God's wisdom through life's crisis. Mm. And it deals with wisdom in the midst of Christ. That's what I had entitled. It was wisdom in crisis. <clears throat> and mm. uh, the crisis that you go through, that we all go through in life. And yet there's godly wisdom that's available to you. It's number one today uh, on Amazon. It's the number one new release on Amazon today. And so I'm proud of that, but I give a little bit of my story in the, in the introduction, and then I just move into God's wisdom uh, for our lives. When you feel like God's, when you're, when you feel like you're put on a shelf, uh, when everybody's just being mean to you, uh, when um, uh, God's wisdom in, in, in the friends and the staff, the people that you build around you, uh, just looking at God's wisdom in a lot of different areas that we don't normally think about, but that we experience. Have you found um, the, the strange mixture between deep grief and tremendous joy come from the same people and also from the same circumstances? Isn't that strange? Yeah. Yeah. yeah your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's either deep grief with them or there's great joy with them. And it's, you know, yeah. it's a little in between, but no. Um, yeah, that's, that is true. It is true. I, I have found through ministry that the people that I would get closest to in the church, um, sometimes they will leave the church without mm -hmm. an explanation. Sometimes they'll give you an explanation. 
but I have seen that to be true in every church I've pastored. Yeah. Do you ever, did you ever get to the point where you, where you look in the mirror and you say, you know, I'm the only constant in this thing. It must be me. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> you know, you begin to think, gosh, it's it, it, all the problem has got to be me, you know? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times we forget people are people. People are just people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think a lot of times we forget we're human too. Yeah. We, ha we have a hard time sometimes preaching grace to ourselves. We can preach it and give it to everybody else, but for ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. Well, hey, let's switch gears just a few moments. Uh, you talked about a pattern of preaching prep or sermon prep. Can you share a little bit? We, we've got a lot of pastors who'll be watching. What what do you do uh, to keep your, your own heart fresh and also to prepare differently than you did maybe when you were 30 or 40? Um, I read a lot more now than I ever have before. I'm constantly reading. I've always been a reader, but now I am voraciously. All I can think about is there's so little life left and there's so many books to read. Mm. Uh, and so I'm reading and I've restricted, I, you know, this is right for me. I, I say this in case there's another guy out there that says, well, you know, that makes some sense. I do not read fiction. I'm not going to read a Tom Clancy novel. I'm not going to, I'm not going to read that kind of stuff. I either read theology or history or biography. That's, that's what I'm going to read. And then I've got my particulars, the things that I like to read as far as theology goes, because you kind of have to, you know, I, I just, I have two doctorates. I have a DMN and I have a PhD now. And what I've learned through those is that I, I've learned about that much of a specific subject. Wow. I don't, I don't know a whole lot, but I know about that much of, about preaching because there's so much out there. Um, I did my PhD on the Anabaptists, basically on the hermeneutics of, of Balthasar Hubmeyer. And how through his defense, uh, you could pick up, you know, what his hermeneutic, what his hermeneutical principles are. And they're hermeneutical principles, by the way, that we Baptists still hold to. So I, I like to read Anabaptist history. I like to read American history. But then I go either American Revolution or Civil War or World War II. Okay. So I know a little bit about history. I don't know much about anything, but I know a little bit about a couple of things. So that's, that's one thing I do is to, to feed myself is that I read. Um, I will listen occasionally or read occasionally sermon, Spurgeon sermon, Morgan sermons, Parker, um, um, uh, Alexander McLaren, or somebody from today, you know, that I'll come across their sermon, read their sermon, or listen to their sermon, just to feed myself. Do you um, do you have advice for pastors who are struggling to to learn how to pray? Because it seems to be that is a common thread for most pastors. Uh, they want to pray more. They mm -hmm. need to pray more but it's the constant battle to pray more. Did you, yeah. did you wrestle with that or do you still wrestle or well, you figured I think that out? Does. I think everybody does. You know, Spurgeon said there was not a <clears throat> conscious 15 minutes of his life that he did not breathe a prayer. Hmm. Now I do that a lot, you know, instead of just stopping for an hour and praying, I catch myself praying a lot of times through the course of the day. But I get up early in the morning, like I get up at 4.30 and I'll go and sit. We, we've got a big bay window in the kitchen that overlooks a lake. And we've got a couple of recliners. Deb's got a recliner and I've got a recliner that we sit there and read in a lot of times in the afternoon. Um, and I'll go and sit there and a lot of times I'd start my day with prayer. 
in I've tried to practice the presence. I've tried to practice just sitting and waiting and listening for the Lord Mm. to impress something on my heart. So prayer doesn't always have to be me just jabbering to the Lord. You know, I don't have to be just constantly talking to the Lord. Prayer can be just sitting quietly and letting the Lord speak to me. So I'm trying to do that um, more and more. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that. It reminds me of a, a comment that Dino Padrone made. I don't know if you know Dino. Um, he he said, because I was asking him the question about prayer life and all, he said, you know, I don't think God needs to hear from me as much as I need to hear from him. Yeah. So what he would do differently is spend more time just soaking in, meditating in the word. Yeah. Now, you know, for him to say that is mind boggling because, yeah. I mean, he's, he's such a, a strong uh, preacher and, and he knows the word deeply. But but it, but it's interesting. It was a different take on it. And, and I, for me, what that did was it said prayer is here, but the word is here. And, and it's not an either or. It's a mix of both. And yeah. and maybe maybe it flows. Maybe sometimes we need to just sit and be still. Maybe sometimes we need to speak and. Maybe we just need to read. You know, that's what I find difficult is, is we want to make it mechanical. We want somebody just to say, here's your list, check them off, and yeah. you're good. But, but life's just not that simple. You know, there are times I have deep conversations with my wife. Like last night going home from church or yesterday afternoon going home from church, she was just talking because she's dealing with grief and the loss of her brother. And, you know, she's just talking to me and talking to me and I'm just listening to her. And she says, well, you know, talk to me. So, and so I'm answering her back. And so we spent some deep moments of conversation, but then there are just times I just say things to her through the course of a day. And I kind of look, prayer is the same way. It's conversation with God. We don't have to make it mystical. We don't have to make it something that is shrouded in, you know, cloaked in, mystery of some kind, but I've enjoyed just getting up in the mornings and just sitting and just read some scripture, pray, talk, but then just sit back and say, I'm just going to wait for the Lord just to impress something on my heart. What does he need to say to me? And I tell him, Lord, I need to hear from you. And you got 10 minutes to do it. No, no, no. The good thing about getting up about four thirty in the morning is, is that I've got a lot of time by myself. I usually say uh, that's before God gets up, so you're going to be waiting on Him. Um, The only reason I usually get up at four a.m. is when I'm putting on my camouflage to go hunting. (laughs) But, but no. Have you always been early, an early riser, or did that? Yeah, is that something? My dad was. you know, my dad would hit the room. If you were not up by six o'clock, he'd just come in and flip the light on and say, what are you doing? You're going to, yeah. the better part Wasted of the day it. is gone. You know, you're burning daylight to get up. So I have, I've always been up early and I love it. That's the best part of my day. Mm. That's a good habit to be in. That's a good habit. Um, I'm the opposite. I'm a, I'll stay up till 2 a.m. because nobody's really awake between midnight and 2 around my house. Well, you know, Truett so did that. That was when Truett studied. Uh, Truett no, would, um, he'd go into the study about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And he'd stay in there until about 2 or so in the morning. And Miss Truett's the bedroom was up above the study. And so about 2 o'clock, she'd get up and she'd take her cane and she'd bang it on the floor. And that was... Notice, come on, come on. And then Dr. Criswell got up early. He got up early and studied, studied early in the morning. And in the afternoon, he would go to the Y. He always went to the Y. He told me, he said, I, you know, he said, uh, there have been days I didn't read the word. Or there have been days I didn't pray. But there's never been a day I didn't go to the Y. So he'd go to the Y every day, you know, work out and then come into the church office. But he'd stay there until nine or 10 o'clock at night. He'd go out visiting, seeing people, uh, you know, making calls and all. But he studied early in the morning. You know, it just dawned on me. I don't think I've ever heard anybody quote Dr. Criswell without 
quoting him in his own voice. Well, you know, you <laughs> isn't that really something else? He, he was a great guy. He was so good to me. Um, I, I, I loved him, and um, he uh, he was just. And so you just hear him. I think everybody can, you know, tries to capture that unique Criswellian sound. Amazing. You know, what I love about it, too, is the fact that, and I hope this comes out the right way, but he reminds me that all men are men at best. I mean, every oh, every Lord. great man yes. is also a deeply flawed man, including myself, including you, right? So, but we I forget that, that many sometimes. Times. Yeah, I have said that many, many, many a time. But I will tell you this, when I saw up close and personal, maybe I shouldn't say this. Well, you are alive, so we can't take it away, but. Yeah. Well, the, he, he grew in my estimation. Uh, mm. it, his home life was not the easiest. Yeah. And uh, he grew, he grew in my estimation, you know. But so do you revere did, him more did. now than before? Like, do you have uh, more respect? Do you have more respect oh, now? Yeah, I did after I, I, yes, very much so. After I got there and got to know him and got to know Miss Criswell and spent, you know, little, little bits of time here and there and all with him. And with the church, too. That was a heavy load. Um, yeah. With all of the entities. It wasn't just the church. You had all of these entities that you had to deal with as well. Uh, I grew, uh, his, he, he grew 10 feet taller in my opinion, but I do go back to say great men do have great flaws, hmm. it, but you know, a lot of people love just to look at the flaws and they'll sit there and pick at them and talk about them and forget all the other stuff. I'd rather focus on the, the great stuff that the man did hmm. and not his flaws because we've all got flaws. I was preaching through uh, Hebrews 11 the other day, actually my last sermon at the church. And one of the comments I made was that uh, Enoch is the only one in that list that we don't know a flaw about. That's a very good with, observation. He walked with God, yeah. but, but he was also the most ordinary one, it seems. Yeah. And so um, I, I, just, I just wish we had a little more grace for others and also for ourselves. And maybe we do get that. I feel like I got that more when I get older because maybe I'm looking more in the mirror, realizing what, how much I need. Um, but, but how do you, gosh, how do I phrase this? How do you reconcile the deep flaws next to the, the, the blessing of God? I mean, is that, is that, is that something you had to wrestle through? Does that make sense? I, I don't know that I, you mean in another man, you know, what do I do about his flaws? Well, his another man or, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's too big of a question. You know, Hey, he knows that we're but dust. What, you know, God knows I'm nothing more than dust. I, I'm I'm so thankful for the grace and the mercy of God uh, in my own personal life. I don't know how I could sit here and, you know, cast stones at somebody else when I know how much God has had to forgive me of. And uh, I get more disgusted with myself than I do with anybody else. So here's the question. Um, anybody who's a pastor and certainly right. anybody who pastors and a lot of people are influenced, the more people right. more influenced, the more criticism and all, what do you think people may, well, not what, not what do they perceive about you, but what, if they really knew the you, what would you want them to know about Matt Brunson? What, what's the most, I mean, what, if they could just hmm. see you in your, in your, pure self what what do you want them you to know do? through you know you know jeff through the years i've had staff people come to me and say people ask me about you they want to know what you're really like i would like people to know this is who this is what i'm really like this this is just me i'm not putting on something uh for you or for show or for whatever i'm just me hmm. um 
But I've had I've had staff through the years come and say, you know, I had lunch with so and so, and they just asked me the question, what What do you really like? What's he really like? You know, I guess people think I don't know what they think, but I'm just me. Who you see, what you see, is just who I am. Doctor Criswell told me uh, when I went to see him before I preached at uh, First Dallas, I went to see him, and he was. Um, sitting in a chair and he wanted me to come over by him. So I could, we'd spent some time talking. My kids were there. Debbie was there. He, he, we spent some time talking and he wanted me to come over by his chair because he wanted to lay his hands on me and he wanted to pray for me. And when I did that, I got there and he looked at me and he said, you just be you. And I knew what he was saying. I couldn't be him. I couldn't be true it. I couldn't be, you know, anybody else but me. And that's what he was saying. Don't try to be. He said, you just be you. And I that was a tremendous affirmation because that's what God had told me. I thought, Lord, how do I do this? You're calling me to this place. How can I do that? And he said, I'm not asking you to be anybody but who I made you. And so... That's what I'd like people to know. I'm just me. This, this is me. And, you know, through the years, I've had to sit down. I have two boys. I have a daughter and then two boys. And through the, you know, girls are different than boys. Boys you can yank up, you know. Yeah. Um, but little girls you have to be careful with. So I, there are two different times with my boys. I've had to look at my boys pri- privately in my office usually. And I've had to say, you know me, you know me behind closed doors and you know me in a pulpit and there's not daylight a difference between the two. Mm. I don't do this because I'm paid. I do this because I'm caught. It's who I am. And this is who I am here in this church. And this is who I am at home. I've had to look at my boys and you can't do that with any integrity if there's not truth to it. So I'm the same person at home that I am in the pulpit and the same person in the pulpit that I am at home. You remind me of a guy who has nothing to lose. You live as though you have nothing to lose, nothing to prove and nothing to hide. That's a genuine authenticity. And I don't know you nearly as well, but, but the, but, but the, what I see, that's, that's what I see. And I think that's what I'm grateful about for you. That and your, your steadfast, uh, um, belief that the word of God is what is powerful to Absolutely. change people's lives. Yeah. That's the one thing I see you've never bent on. Um, nope. And, and nope. you know, it, it's never really backfired. I mean, you can never go wrong preaching the word. I've made people unhappy in the church, you know, but <laughs> I, I can't help it. It's the word of God is the word of God is the word of God. Yeah. But you've also uh, just, just knowing a little bit of the backstory, you've also boldly preach what the word of God says, but then you've backed that up with your actions of kindness and grace uh, in different instances as well. And so it's not an either or, it really is a both and. And so well, I, appreciate uh, I do that. appreciate Thank that. Thank you. So, well, you've been, I will say, today. <laughs> I will say, I don't know anybody in their right mind who would ever want to follow the men that you have followed in the pulpit. Mm. My no, goodness. you're right. Are you Nobody in the right mind, which tells you something about me. <laughs> oh man, you, you followed legends. So, mm. well, hey, is there any question I, that, that you wish I would ask or anything you want to add before we close? You know, I've loved all the men that I've followed. Uh, every man that I have followed, I have loved. And, um, you know, the, you know, in the, in my, I didn't know who the men were in that first church before seminary. Um, I, I did know that the pastor in South Norfolk, I made him pastor emeritus, loved him, had him preach, treated him with honor, with dignity. Um, and he was good to me. And then I, he was there for 39 years. And then I went to Green Street and the men that had been before me, I honored them. And th- the same thing with Dr. Criswell, same thing with Dr. Vines. In fact, Dr. Vines and I talk almost every day. We tweet almost every day back and forth. And he's one of my, I consider him one of my dearest friends. You know, I talk to him almost every day. Uh, 
So I've always respected and admired OS at, at, at First Dallas, who I followed OS and uh, loved, love OS, love Susie, pastored both of his daughters and their husbands and um, treated him with respect and honor. None of that's been hard for me to do. I've, I've always loved those guys. And I've always loved the fact that I could honor them. I had Dr. Vines back every year. I had Dr. Criswell preach a numbers of times up until he just physically could not preach anymore. Um, so, you know. I think you can never go wrong giving honor where honor is due. No, you can't, brother. You're exactly right. You can't And I think that's wrong. one of the areas that the church might need some work in it and that yeah, yeah. we throw people away. Yeah, too quickly we do. We, and do. we, uh, we forget people too quickly yeah. and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's not the best thing for us. Yeah. So. Oh, and I forgot to say here, Jason D's young guy, a lot younger than I am. He's over in, in, uh, Buckhead in Atlanta and he's started a church over there. Great guy. I, I very much like him. Uh, and I've had him back. I had him back, uh, to preach on a very significant day here when we burned the note off on the, on the church. So I've, I've always loved and always respected and honored before the people, the men that have gone before me. That's good. Well, it will come around to you. I am certain. Uh, and I, and I think I see that even now. So, well, thank you so much for your time. Good. This thank has you, been Jeff. fascinating. You, uh, you've really, I say this with honesty, you've made a dent in the kingdom. And I, but at the same time, I know that you still have plenty left to give. And I think that you will not flame out. You're going to burn out uh, because there's nothing left to give. I hope so, brother. I hope That's I go point. out, man, holding a Bible up and proclaiming the word of God. And let me say, your library is just incredible. <laughs> just, just incredible. Uh, you know, yeah, no. So this is a, <laughs> we talked about that. This is my virtual background. This one, but I only chose it because I knew that you were a voracious reader. You how, how many volumes do you have in your library? Probably you around, well, around 12,000 or so. 12. That's nothing compared to David Allen. All my stars, David Allen's library is just incomprehensible. So I'm one of the young guys that I actually just gave because I moved offices. And uh, so I just gave away three quarters of my library because this is my library now. Yeah. I know it's terrible, isn't it? I, I kept, you I know, kept, they say kept books are coming back. They say books well, are coming There's nothing back. like holding a book, but the time no, you say no. by just. And I'm looking at those old volumes behind you there and you can just smell uh -huh. the leather. Man, you this hold is, it in your hands this. with a cup of coffee. Oh, man. That's, You're that's good a man, little Charlie slice Brown. of heaven on earth. Well, <laughs> I used to say uh, the success of a pastor is directly proportional to the size of his library. And I was joking, I but that's now I think that's true. Now that's I think a lot true. of truth in that. A lot of truth. Until you have to I move. I can tell on. you the depth of a man's preaching just walking into his library. Hmm. That's good. Hey, I'd love to have you back sometime. Um, sure. Thank you so much. Good. It's been, thank it's been you, a Jeff. lot of fun. God bless you. All righty. Okay. Have a great day. You too.